0: Um, You guys can open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. This morning we'll be talking about the outsider. And as I've been studying this passage over the last couple weeks, I've been more and more amazed, not about the story of, of this woman at the well, but more amazed at Jesus. How Jesus has a purpose with everything he's doing. We saw last night he had a purpose for why he was talking to Nicodemus. This morning he has a purpose for why... He's doing everything, why he's talking to the woman at the well, why he's saying, what he's saying. And with everything that he's doing, he's teaching hundreds of different things, and the more we get to seek in his, his word, the more we get to see who he is and how amazing he is. So this morning, I just hope that you guys really look at Jesus as we're going through this, really look at what He's saying, what he's offering, so that we can just get a little bit a little bit more knowledge of who he is and this morning I have three three main points I hope we get from this passage one is that Jesus came for the outcast of the outcasts to offer true life two is that soul-satisfying life comes from knowing Christ and walking in the light and three is that we should give our very lives to the worship of God as we live out his will let's pray father thank you for your precious word that we get to see you, to know you in it. So God, this morning, I just pray that you give us soft hearts, humble hearts, to hear what you have to say to us. Pray that you'd make it clear, God, what you're trying to say here. And God, that we get to see you for how beautiful and awesome and holy you are. pray this in your name, amen. Let's read verse one. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So this is a transition passage going from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and I'm just going to point out three things that we should remember for the rest of this. One is that Jesus intentionally left Judea for Galilee. So the Pharisees saw that Jesus was baptizing more than John. It doesn't explain why this was the reason. I think there's a couple things we could take it from it. One is that at this time, Jesus wasn't trying to make a big deal about his ministry, He wasn't trying to gather a big crowd to make a big ruckus. Um, so that could have been a reason, Another reason that he didn't want to make people think that John the Baptist wasn't valid. John was serving his purpose of preparing the way for Jesus. But the most important thing is to know that Jesus intentionally left Judea for Galilee. And number two is that he purposely intentionally goes to Samaria. The wording of scripture here says that he had to go through Samaria. And if it was just for a geographic reason, because Samaria was sandwiched between Galilee and Judea, it didn't make a lot of sense because there was a couple of routes that it was very common for Jews to take that would go around Samaria because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along very well. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. And number three, we see that Jesus was worn out. He was tired. He had been giving to those around him. He had been with his disciples. He had been traveling probably all day, maybe for a few days. And while Jesus is indeed God, he has taken on flesh. John 1, 14, earlier in in the gospel according to John, it says the word, which is referring to Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus experiences the pain, the weariness, the tiredness, just like the rest of us. And this is really important later on. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father, Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So first we see that Jesus asks her for a drink. He was actually thirsty, actually weary. He actually needed water. And this shocked the woman, because she was a Samaritan. So a little bit of history about the Samaritans. The Samaritans were essentially a tribe created from the Jews. So while the Jews were exiled into Babylon, some of them stayed back in the land of Canaan, and they intermarried with the Canaanites, which is number one, as they were not supposed to do. And so the Jews saw them as basically half-breeds, that they were impure. They were no longer a pure Jewish from their bloodline. And they also took on part of the Canaanite religion, which the Canaanite had many gods, not just one god. So the Samaritans worshiped God, along with all the other gods and spirits that they worshiped. And so not only did the Jews see them as half-breeds, they also saw them as heretics. They had false theology. And not only that, but we see that she came to draw the water at noon. She came to draw the water by herself. It was typical for women to go in the morning in groups, and gather water for the entire day, and also to beat the heat of the day. So we see that no one in her own society wanted to associate with her. That even among the Samaritans, which are the outcasts of the Jews, she was an outcast. She was an outcast of the outcasts, seen from others as unclean, unholy, unrighteous, unworthy. So you see, if we look at Christ, we look at Jesus, he did not care about these societal barriers that the Jews put up, that we often put up. He was willing to cross the racial, the cultural, the gender, the moral, all of the barriers to give her what he came to give. And here we see that is living water. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink. This gift of God is I think it's referring to him. It's referring to eternal life in him. If you look at Romans 6.23 and we look at also other places in scripture, it says in Romans, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying if you knew me and what I had to offer, you'd ask me for a drink. This living water is, is a reference that we see a lot in the Old Testament. We're going to be bringing up a few passages here. One of them is which is Jeremiah 17.13. It says, "Lord, the hope of Israel: all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from you will be written in the dirt, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water." So he's offering something here that's not physical. It is something spiritual. He's equating this living water. Water is in the thing that we can't live without, the thing that we all need. He's saying, "You need this. You need this spiritually. He's saying, You need me. You need God spiritually just as much as you need water physically. Except, much like Nicodemus, where Nicodemus took what Jesus said spiritually, what he meant spiritually as physically, she takes what he's offering literally. She thinks he means water. Whether it's running water or spring water, it's uncertain but she accuses him, he says, you must be greater than Jacob if you think you can have better water than Jacob since he's got a well. But this water, this water is so much greater than any water a well could offer. Because his water, he says, if you drink from this water, you will never thirst again. It will permanently satisfy. So he's saying not only is this water better than physical water, it is living water for me, it will permanently satisfy. Isaiah 58, says, The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. I think sometimes this analogy can, can fall short for us. We're very used to having tap water on hand. We never, we've never really had to worry about being that thirsty. Like We all have our water bottles with us pretty much wherever we go. But I think some of us can at least relate to having that experience of being really thirsty. Whether you've just gone on a run, you've been on a hike, been out somewhere where it's really dry and you forgot your water bottle. And there's nothing you want more than just some water. And then when you finally get that cold, nice glass of water, there's nothing more satisfying. Except even that, Even that water will eventually leave you thirsty again and he's saying the water that I give you you will never thirst again you will never get thirsty he's saying he's offering himself the living water he said if you take of me I will always satisfy and how do we get this water we just have to ask he says if you knew who I was and you asked you'd get living water Except we don't, always, we don't always ask, we choose things. So we're always looking to be satisfied in something, right? As, as people, we're pretty t- normal um, use to say that we try to be satisfied. It's typically in the things that we go and seek, whether that's money or fame or status or intimacy, companionship, pleasure. We seek to be satisfied with our friendships with each other Sometimes we seek to be satisfied, even with campus fellowship and the people there. But we don't go to what's truly going to satisfy. We don't go to the living water. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So he gives of himself. He says, If you take of me, I will satisfy but we choose other ways. Because not only does he satisfy, the second part here, he says he gives us a well of water which is the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the Spirit. And John 7, 37 to 39 explains this, it says, he stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So not only does he say, I am the living water, I'm going to give you a well that's going to be within you, welling up a wellspring for eternal life. So I think there's a, there's a truth about us when we look to be satisfied. I think a lot of times we, we search for it in things that are easy to grasp, easy to see in front of us. Because we don't realize how deep this desire is. How deep we actually need to look to be satisfied. Because anything that we look for in this world will eventually leave us empty. I think you'll find, you've probably seen it in your own life, but anything you seek that you think is going to satisfy, once you get there, you will always want more. You'll always look to the person that has that more and think they have it. But even as we look at the people that we would see as the pinnacle, whether they have the most money or the most fame or the most talent, they are just as empty as the rest of us. Because I think there's a truth that we were made to only be satisfied with Christ. This is something that I wish I had really seen a long time ago, because my life was defined by what I was trying to be satisfied with. When I was in high school, I thought it was gonna be sports, or achievement, or friends, or whatever video games I could have. I thought it was gonna be through relationships, through intimacy. When I was a senior, I started talking to a girl and we got really close. And I thought, man, I've I've tried everything, if only I can have this. And so I thought, God, you don't seem to be satisfying right now, so I'm gonna look for this thing. And once, just having a friendship, a deep friendship wasn't enough, we needed a romantic relationship, and once just close, intimate times together wasn't enough, I needed to get physical, I needed more and more and more, and she became the object of what I was gonna be satisfied with. Until it eventually it just left me so empty because I couldn't, I couldn't get enough, because she was not enough. And thankfully God stepped in in a miraculous way before things could get too far, But that wasn't before I had destroyed her and myself from seeking to be satisfied, not with the living water, with the water that I could find. And this is the truth of every time we try to get satisfied in things that aren't Christ. So this is why he says, I'm giving you myself as the living water, I'm giving you the spirit welling up in you eternal life. Because we have a deep need to be satisfied that can only be met with Christ. This says in John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that you may know God and the one with whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. This welling up in you of eternal life, this is knowing God. This isn't saying that when you get this living water, the living water means you get Jesus and Jesus is gonna give you everything you've wanted, all the possessions on this earth. This means Jesus is what you've always wanted. He's always what you've needed. This eternal life is getting to know God. And this is what he's offering. He's coming to the outcast of the outcasts. The king of the universe comes down as a man, and he's giving himself. He says, come to me. I will always satisfy. If you come to me, you'll never thirst again. I'll give you my spirit to dwell inside of you so you will never be thirsty, so you can have eternal life but we see here in verse 15 the woman does still not understand what Jesus is saying she says give me the water so that I won't get thirsty and come here and get water she still sees it in the physical sense so let's keep reading verse 16 it says go call your husband he told her and come back here I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus confronts her. He sees that she is not grasping what he's saying because there's one really big thing, and that is her sin. He confronts her sin and exposes it which might seem like a really harsh thing to do, but in fact, it was the most loving thing for him to do. She was misunderstanding her own need. She saw her need as I need to be satisfied in what these things on this earth are gonna satisfy I me. Mean, for her, it seemed to be that it was companionship, it was intimacy, it was relationship, it was marriage. She thought that would satisfy. So she had moved on from one to the next. It doesn't give us a lot of details with how that had all happened, that she had had five husbands. But it seems apparent that that was what she had sought to be satisfied in. She asked for, for this water, she doesn't understand that this is something so much greater than any worldly satisfaction can give her. Coming to receive this living water, coming to receive Christ does not mean ignoring sin. It means exposing it. Ephesians 5, 9-11 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. We often see our sin as something small. Maybe like we see going five over the speed limit. Like, we all do it, nobody really cares. Technically it's illegal, but like, even the cops probably won't pull you over. That's not how God sees sin. Sin, in God's eyes, is murder. Even the small sin is worthy of condemnation of death. Sin is worthy of the death penalty. Sin is a disease that kills everything that touches it. Sin is us saying we're gonna go against the creator God, the Lord of the universe. Sin is the reason that God the Father had to send his own son to this earth to give up being with God, to live here as a man and suffer and die on the cross. Sin was what put him there. Sin is why Jesus came. Sin is why Jesus had to take on the wrath of God. Sin is not a small thing. This is why Jesus brings up her sin. He's saying if you wanna come to me, you gotta understand this. You gotta understand the weight of your sin. We must understand that sin condemns you. We also must understand, as we saw in John 3 last night, that there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way we can atone for ourselves. There's nothing we can do that's ever going to account for the sin that we've committed, the way we've rebelled against God. God. It is only in Christ that we can be saved. So coming to this living water means, that it's saying that I am worthy of death. but Christ has taken that for me. And not only do we need to, to see that in order to be saved, but that's not the end of us and our sin. Because even if we have to even after we have repented of our sin and put our faith in Christ, we still sin. And now we're given this choice. If we're going to be ruled by our sin, if we're going to expose it and put it in the light, when we hide our sin, we're saying that Jesus wasn't enough. When we keep it hidden, we're saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. It means we still are being defined by our sin. So brothers and sisters, if, you, if you've put your faith in Christ or if you have not, you gotta understand the death that is your sin. And we still sin. And every time, we're, we can be tempted to feel like, man, I'm not enough. That's true. We've got to remember the cross, that Jesus died for that, that Jesus wants to bear that for you, that he came so you don't have to carry that anymore because he wants you to put that on the cross, to put that into the light, to confess that to him and to those around us, to say that, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. because our sin does not need to define who we are. If you've put your faith in Christ, you are now defined as a son and a daughter of God. You're not defined by your sin. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to carry our sin. He died so that he could bear it for you. Let's keep reading, verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So see here, she asked if he's a prophet. And I don't think this is necessarily to reflect from the earlier conversation. I think she sees that he has supernatural power. I think it sees that she has a heart that wants to worship God. But even her assumption that he's a prophet is a vast undermining of what he actually is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. As he says in verse 26, he says, There is an hour coming where we can worship God anywhere. This debate about the worshiping Samaria versus Judea, that's because the Jews thought that because the, essentially since the temple was in Jerusalem, they could only worship there. And he's saying that there's an hour coming where you guys are gonna get the spirit. You can worship God in spirit and in truth. We're gonna get the spirit inside of you. And This is something that we take for granted, but they didn't have that back then. Not everyone had easy access to the spirit. And for us now, if we put our faith in Christ, we get to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And this part about the worshiping in God, what they do know, the Samaritans worship what they do not know, It's because the Samaritans did not actually know who God was. The Samaritans just had a view of, of God, but nothing attached to him. And God wants people to worship not just in spirit but also in truth. He's saying if we wanna worship God, we gotta know who he is. We gotta know what's true about him. We gotta study his word together and discover who this awesome creator is. Because we are a people of worship. We worship every day. The things you know, the things you don't know. It's the same to how we seek to be satisfied. We continually give ourselves to whatever we're, we're pursuing, and that is that we make that our objects of worship. So it might seem really egotistical for God to say, You must worship me, and He's pleased with that. But for one, He is the only thing that is worthy of worship, He is the Creator the Lord of the universe, the good Father, the source of all life. But not just that, worshiping God is is the best thing for us. Much like going to the living water is the only thing that will satisfy, worshiping him is the only thing that's gonna lead to not us being destroyed from the inside out. When we direct our worship to anything but him, we'll just continually be left empty. We'll continue to hurt ourselves and those around us. But directing our worship to God is the only thing that's going to be fulfilling because he is the source of all joy, all hope, all love, all comfort, all satisfaction. Not only that, directing our worship to him was what we were created to do. We were made to be with him, worshiping him, going him to the source of as the living water. He was the only thing that we were meant to ever worship. Let's keep reading. Verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, Who do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look to the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper, the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. So we see here the woman's response. She had gone to the well, and this strange man asked her for a drink, the strange Jew. He offered living water to give her a wellspring of life, He called out her sin. He told her that she's gonna get to worship anywhere with the spirit. This is her response. She responded with joy. There was no grief, remorse, or anger that Jesus had called out her sin because she was finally free from it. That sin that had been weighing down on her for so long. Her looking for life and, and other things had left her empty I think she finally saw because she had so much joy that she couldn't help but telling others anyone that would listen come see is this Messiah the man that told me everything I ever did then his disciples come they tell him to eat something and he says I already have food and they think he's got like a Twix bar up in his robes or something but no he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He's saying that this is more satisfying than any of the food you guys could offer. And remember, this is the man that is weary from his travels, weary from helping and serving others. He's still, as far as I can see, never got a drink of water, probably is famished, but he's satisfied because his work, his food, the strength that he needs from food is doing the will of God. So Don't don't hear me saying that you shouldn't eat and you shouldn't drink. Those are good things. Take care of yourselves. But this is where his strength comes from. This is where his satisfaction comes from. He's saying that the sustenance from doing the work of God that God has sent him to do and fulfill it's going to be more filling than any of the food that disciples could ever give. And then he tells them, just after he says, Doing the will of, my food is doing the will of God, he says, Look to the harvest. Look out around you. The harvest is referring to the people, the people around them. He says, Look, the time is now. Don't wait four months. The time is ripe and it is now to go out into that harvest. It was fulfilled then with, with John the Baptist going before Jesus and preparing the way, sowing the seeds so that Jesus could reap the fruit. It is the same with us. There's people that go out in front of us to share the gospel and to spread the news in front of us that we get to reap the benefits of. And this is, this is something we should do together. The sower and the reaper, they rejoice together. It's not about who sows. It's not about who reaps. He's saying Go. Do the will of the Father. Find great joy in this. Find your food, your strength in this. For what God has called you to do, which is to go, to share what I've given you, to share this good news. And we see that the people come. They believe first because the woman told them, but then they believe second because they see it for themselves. They see that this is indeed the savior of the world. So let's look back at at our main points and tie them together here. So Jesus came for the outcast of the outcasts to offer true life. I know there's people in this room that you feel like you've been an outcast. Whether that's from your family or from your friends, your classmates. You've never felt like you fit in. You were always rejected and put down. Maybe you can feel that right now in, in CF among your peers. Maybe you feel like your sin is too much for God to forgive. You feel like you always mess it up. You always seek life in the wrong things. Jesus came to offer life to you. This, this story here, much like Nicodemus, this is not an accident. It was not random chance that Jesus came upon this woman. Jesus meant to go talk to that woman. And there's no sin that has come in the way of you getting to have life, getting to have Christ. And more than that, he makes you from the outcasts of outcasts and gives you the greatest title you could ever have. John one twelve says, For those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God to those who believed in his name. You get to be called a son and a daughter of the living God who is the king of the universe He invites you in to a family that is eternal, a family with the greatest father that could ever be. He draws you in, because he he came for the outcasts and the sinners. We also remember that no barrier should stop us from sharing and loving others with the gospel, that when we see people that are cast out, when we see people that are wearing their sin on their sleeve, that should not cause us to to steer away from them, but to go towards them like Jesus, to love them with the gospel, share them life. Second, we see that soul-satisfying, soul-quenching life comes from knowing Christ and walking in the light. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have life in him, eternal life, knowing him. If there's anything you guys get today, I hope it's not that, that eternal life means living forever, and eternal life means getting a lot of great things. Eternal life means knowing God, that we get to have Jesus. We get to have the Holy Spirit in us, and we get to have a relationship with the Father. That is what eternal life is. And he gave up everything so that we could have it. He gave up everything so that we could have living water, the well springing up in us. When he was on the cross, as the Father was was taking out the wrath on him that was meant for us, he says, I thirst. This living water that he's always had, he gave up so we could have it. That moment, as the Father turned his back away, Jesus gave up that living water. He gave that up so we could have him. We could have eternal life. So we could live our lives worshiping him. So we could live our lives going to the living water instead of the water on this earth that will never satisfy. Finally, if these things are true, then we should live our lives to the worship of God as we live out his will. Because he is the only one worthy of our worship. He's more than worthy of our worship. Because the worship of God is going to be the only thing that won't just destroy us. And as we worship God and our our joy in Christ is evident, that should cause us to want to share that with others. To go out into that harvest. To do the will of God. To be strengthened by the food that God provides as we do that. So we, as we have our our joy in Christ, our satisfaction from the living water, let's walk out in that together as we make his name known. Let's pray. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content, or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.